Blog Talk Radio. Hello, fuckers. It's Nick Nunziata uh, with the Morning Screw. Second week in a row. Um, looking to make this a regular thing in addition to other things that are made regular, not including my pants. Um, we have uh, an interesting week upon us, uh, a week of, of rebirth, a week of uh, exciting film possibilities, both in the theater and in DVD. And uh, it just seems like we've turned a corner uh, and have gotten rid of a lot of the dog shit and are going towards interesting times. Uh, and I'm going to say that because I'm looking at, like, it's the first time in a good while where I've actually had way too many things that are out there that are that are interesting to, to even keep track of. We've got that uh, Vincent Cassell movie, Mezzarine, the part one of the, the two-part crime flick uh, playing over in the city here in Atlanta. Uh, we've got the, uh, uh, by all accounts, the delightful Animal Kingdom opening up this week. We've got Machete opening up this week, which I've seen and am a huge fan of. We've got, um, uh, on DVD, the Red Riding Trilogy comes out. Uh, there's um, uh, the new, uh, well, not new, but the Michael Caine movie, Harry Brown, comes out, which is pretty good uh, and representative of a guy that's still somehow better than your grandfather and definitely better than my grandfather because my grandfathers are spinning around with maggots devouring their souls. Um it's just an interesting time, you know, and it's weird because, like, you know, we had the Vomit Drop uh, releases uh, in the theaters the past couple of weeks, and there's been some good stuff in there, but it's definitely not the time of year where people are that excited. So I have to admit, it's it's an interesting time. It's, it, there's some fun stuff going on. There's a lot of good TV about the kind of kickstart we've got, you know, especially in the, from the FX boys. We've got Sons of Anarchy coming back. We've got a bunch of new shows coming out. And uh, we've seen a, a good portion of the FX lineup, and it's really inspiring. Ren gave Lights Out a good review, or a good preview. Uh, I'm going to say some nice stuff about Terriers. And um, even though I find the third season of Sons of Anarchy very disappointing so far, I'm four episodes in, it's still a, a fun show. And uh, there's definitely a, an air of, uh, of just smooth coolness out there. And uh, I'm excited. It's a, it's a good time. So I would like people to call in at some point. Uh, the numbers are one three four seven eight two six nine one zero one. I have confirmation that Justin will be calling in. Uh, you may have heard of him. I've got confirmation that Steve Murphy will be calling in. So basically everything else pales. Um, the other number, which is toll-free, and I prefer you use this only if you really need to, it's one eight seven seven five nine eight eight six five one. Certainly don't hesitate to call, especially if you're calling internationally or if you have no other means of calling. If if you have a shitty cell phone plan or if you're calling from uh, Lily Tomlin's house, you know, whatever it requires, just just, uh, just call in. Because one of the things that uh, I definitely want to go back to doing is having you guys participate uh, until until you bore me and then I'm going to send you scurrying off into the afterworld. Um, Additionally, uh, we're on the back end of uh, the Emmys, which is a useless awards show. I mean, not that, not that any of them aren't useless, but uh, as I slowly, reluctantly crawled closer to television, uh, it only pisses me off more to see the kind of stuff that gets critical acclaim and, and fan worship. Uh, TV certainly is, is uh, where it's at right now, uh, but... In, in the same manner that the Oscars and the Golden Globes dropped the ball repeatedly, the uh, the Emmys are, are mostly laughable, uh, especially for the fact that, uh, you know, you get um, Kira Sedgwick winning every year. And I, I think this is the last year of the closer, so she won't win next year. But I like her. She's a good actress, and she she's skinny as hell, and uh, she's naked. In, in the woodsman, but it's not enough. It's just not enough, especially uh, since the amazing um, performance that Katie Segal does on, on Sons of Anarchy. I mean, she she elevates that show so drastically. Woman didn't even get nominated. Um, but 
So I do want to talk a little bit about the Emmys, even though it's it's a cheese ball topic. Uh, so, oh God, very important. <laughs> Just got an important text from Steve Murphy. Uh, you know, as you as you folks know, currently he's working at Lowe's Home Home Improvement Warehouse, uh, enjoying a promotion to where he uh, he gets to keep man hours. Uh, but one of the caveats of his of his job requires that he spend a percentage of his day dealing with human beings, which is something that anybody who knows Steve Murphy is difficult. And uh, he sent me a, a profanity-laden text earlier indicating that he was going to be working on the register at Lowe's from 10.30 to 11 today. So he's just recovering from that. Uh, but I did get a, a nice comment. He says, I just sold a toilet flapper repair kit and a spare wheelbarrow tire to George Carlin. Now something tells me it may not have been the George Carlin, but if you would picture Steve Murphy working the counter at Lowe's and selling a toilet repair kit and a spare wheelbarrow tire to an, an old dude with a beard, it somehow makes you feel better about this world that we live in. I mean, say what you want about Jesus. Steve is suffering for our sins right now. And it could have happened to a better person. As we as we spiral into our sixth minute of absolute cutting-edge entertainment, uh, I will tell you that this weekend, I will not I will not go to bed on Sunday until I have not only finished editing, but also released into the world the Best of the Chud Podcast Part 2. Uh, we have got about 30 minutes of content so far, and we're halfway through uh, the selection of episodes that we're going through. And we found some stuff that's pretty pretty good. The quality is asshole. But there's some pretty fun stuff in there. Justin and I um, did did some good work on it uh, a couple weeks ago and found some, some stuff that, at the very least, entertained us. And really, I mean, at the end of the day, the show is pretty much just about entertaining ourselves. Um, one, of the, one of the things that mystifies me looking at these Emmy things is this... Um, Modern Family thing. I I don't understand why it's beloved. I, I mean, Ed, Ed O'Neill is always reliable, um, but I can't believe that this show is so good that it would defeat, you know, shows that are are absolutely great. You know, shows that you know there's a lot of good stuff out there right now. Uh, as far as comedies go, I mean, how does anything compete with Dexter? Although it does have the guy from Dawn of the Dead in it, and good for him. Ty Burr, Ty Burrell, good for him. He looks, that guy's a pretty good actor, but there's something, something wrong with his appearance. He looks like he was cut from a block of Calabos's asshole or something. He's just like, he's too, there's too something about him. Maybe one of you guys could put it to words. All right, so first we're going to go and discuss the most important aspect of the week. Um, actually, it used to be. Now it's useless, but I'm still going to go into it. We have uh, a pretty good week uh, as far as the Tuesday releases go. Last week was dog shit, uh, and this week uh, is dog dog cum. Um, we've got uh, The Sons of Anarchy Season 2 Blu-ray and DVD, and it's the best season of the show, I think. Uh, it's, it's, if you haven't caught on, it is this weird, gritty, predictable, but fun biker show. There's nothing about it that I can use to really recommend it for people in the same way that you could easily summarize why Deadwood is great or why um, The West Wing is great or whatever else. Sons of Anarchy, I don't even know... I don't, I don't even think it's great, but I love it. It's got one of those intangible aspects to it, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it, Kim Coates and Mark Boone Jr., currently in prison, um, you know, uh, Tommy Flanagan, and, and guys like that are, are the stars. You know, even Ron Perlman, uh, who is the, actually the least convincing of the bikers. Um, all those guys are just so fun to watch, and it's so great to see them on screen. Um, 
That's part of the appeal. But then when you throw in some of the sub-characters and the fact that Henry Rollins was a racist for a few episodes and Stephen King was, is in the new season for, for a brief stretch and, you know, you've got, it's a really just fun, eclectic group of character actors and there's something really kind of appealing about it. And the fact that it's succeeding goes even further towards proving that um, there's room for stuff like that. Uh, so that comes out, and that's that's a good that's a pretty good season. I mean, obviously you can't. I wouldn't recommend watching it alone. You should see the first one. But the the basic plot is that some white supremacists have come to the town of Charming, where the bikers are, led by people that you can you know you typically when you think of white supremacists you think of Adam Arkin, and, and his psychic Hank Rollins, uh, who you definitely would buy in the role. Although you know knowing Hank and how how great he is and how anti all that it is, it's just even funnier. But uh, it's a really it's a really fun season, and, and uh, they kind of abandoned the Shakespeare for the most part. That the Shakespeare backdrop that the show was built upon, but I'm starting to see some of that manifest in season two. I don't know if it's going to pay off or not, but anyway, um, uh, the Human Holocaust. Tyler Perry's new movie comes out. Why did I get married too? And folks, if you ever allow for this man to make a cent off of you, you are a you're you're worse than the Vatican assassin or anybody else out there who who is trying to kick ass for the name of evil, because Tyler Perry. I mean, this is not cutting edge film criticism, but Tyler Perry's a cunt. Um, evil Dead uh, limited edition on Blu-ray comes out. Uh, I don't understand what you can do with that film that would justify Blu-ray. Um, you want to see Ellen Sandoweiss's veins up close? I, I don't know what the hell. I mean, it's a, it's a blast of a movie and it's vital, but there have been 1,100 different releases of this in various formats, and there's some new features on it, but I really... How good... The, the better Evil Dead looks, the worse it, it is, the experience. So I can't really recommend that one a whole lot, although I love the movie, obviously. Uh, and if you don't, you're a douche dog. Um, Harry Brown, which we briefly discussed in my scintillating opening to this show, uh, is, Harry, is basically a revenge flick with Michael Caine, and it was shot in the 2000s. So Michael Caine is, is older than Santa Claus, and he's kicking people's ass. And if that's not enough to sell the ticket, I don't know what to tell you. But you know what's funny, and I'll take a little breather here, Michael Caine... Is, he still works in roles like this. And this isn't the first time recently that the guy has done uh, a movie where he he is more than just an old guy. You know, it, he's he's 77 years old, which is, by all accounts, fucking old. And he's still running around being good in movies, which makes you wonder what the hell is wrong with a lot of the American actors that are just coughing and wheezing through roles. Um in, in the past, like, 10 or 15 years, the guy has done quite a few smaller movies that actually showcase that he's still challenging himself. I mean, going back as far as uh, Blood and Wine, which is not a good movie. It should have been. Or even on Deadly Ground, where he's the villain. But um, uh, Quills, he was good. Play, he, he challenged himself. Cider House Rules, very good role. Get Carter was a nightmare. But then you look at The Quiet American, which is a... It's an interesting little movie. It's it's not nearly deserving, possibly, of, of the, um, like, it, when it came out, there were folks who were acting like it. It, it was like a life changer. It was like Michael Caine gives the performance of his career, blah, blah, blah. But it's a good movie, and it's neat to see that he would do something like that. And the same goes for The Statement, which I think is, it might even be a better movie than The Quiet American in some respects. It's kind of just a, a weird a weird little movie with him and Jeremy Northam. But it's, it's, a, it's you know, it's... It's interesting, and it's definitely the kind of European film that um, is so much more interesting than a lot of the stuff that we're doing. And I, I think it's great that it got a little bit of attention, but if that movie had come out in, like, the mid-'80s, it probably would have had a global release and been treated with a lot more respect. But it's a cool movie regardless, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that Michael Caine is not giving up or taking a break. He seems to be really uh, energized. You know, it would be very easy for him to just take paycheck roll after paycheck roll because he's earned it. But he's uh, he's still badass. And and you watch him in The Prestige or you watch him in um, the Batman movies. He's 
he's still got that fire behind his eyes, and you got to love that. And I'm not saying that it's, uh, I mean, it, you should expect that of everybody, and I'd like to think that you or myself are going to be the same way when we're that age, but, you know, he's been through, I mean, think about the, the career that the guy's had. He hasn't really had that many major lulls, and he's been acting alongside the big players. I mean, he was a movie star for a long time, and you got to wonder, um, you know, the, the kind of, Options he's had to 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 camp it, you know, to camp out or or pack it in or or the kind of parting he's done, he's still better than you. He's in Jaws four for fuck's sake. Um, but you know it's funny. Harry Harry Brown is a good movie, uh, and he and he and he's effective as an ass kicker. But um, it's not, you know, it's it's once again, it's it's it. If it wasn't Michael Caine, it might not have had that kind of effectiveness. But I have to go back to a film that he made in, in the, I believe, the late 80s that nobody, or, or 1990, that nobody still seems to give any credit to. And it's a really little movie, but I've always been a fan of it, and I tried to introduce people to it on, on, on VHS. And uh, more often than not, it was just, I got looks of confusion. It's a movie called A Shock to the System. And it's a really subtle, black, blackly comic movie about a guy who... Uh, basically is he wants his wife dead he's he's trying to fuck with his his professional career it's just kind of a weird little <laughs> anarchist kind of middle aged thing it's really fun and it's with him and it's with Elizabeth McGovern who's not a selling point Peter Riegert who's really fun in the movie and he's always good and Will Patton who is always good and looking at his IMDb page the character he plays is Lieutenant Laker which means he's a Lucky Night Six fan, which thrills me. Um, but Harry Brown's a movie that would, would re- be a really nice um, rental, um, you know, on a, on a day where you you don't really want to watch, like, a big movie or something that's going to, you know, it's like a crowd pleaser, but a nice little meaty middle-of-the-road film, really solid. Um, also coming out is a, is a flick or flicks that I haven't seen but I've been dying to, the Red Riding Trilogy, which is a, a British uh, series uh, about a uh, serial killer investigation, but there's a lot of corruption and other stuff that kind of fuels it. And it was shot really interestingly by different filmmakers with a bunch of really good actors like uh, Sean Bean and, and David Morrissey and guys like that. And Andrew Garfield's like the lead, and I'm, he's the guy that I, I'm kind of on the fence about. I know he's going to play Spider-Man, but... Uh, I did not like him in the uh, Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. So that's going to be interesting to see him in, in a role where he actually is the lead and how he carries it. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so there's that. And then um, the other, there's only like one other thing I think of, uh, that might be worth a, worth a peek at, you know, for folks. And that would be the fact that I Space Out, the iCarly DVD comes out this week. Anybody who's a fan of iCarly, and I know I'm not the only one, um, there's a lot of good masturb- masturbation material here. Um, like the episode where uh, iCarly gets a, she buys what she thinks is a, um, a gerbil, but it turns out to be Sasquatch, and uh, jackhammers her vagina for about 28 minutes of the 30-minute running time. It's pretty incredible. I don't know, I don't know what iCarly is. All I know is that it's hugely successful and it's going to sell more copies than MacGruber. And folks, MacGruber comes out next week on DVD and that is cause for celebration. Let's talk about Machete a little bit while I beg for callers. Uh, let's see, here we go. The numbers once again are 347-826-9101 and the long distance toll free is 877 877- Five nine eight eight six five one. I can only imagine Steve Murphy is just waiting for the chance to get a break so he can log out, high-five the person who relieves him, probably a middle-aged lady of size who is doing it out of passion for Lowe's rather than Steve Murphy who's fighting desperately to be recognized as a man. Um, he probably just sold some pipe cleaners, uh, a soap dispenser, and... Uh, the back plate for a lawnmower and is still just challenging himself as a, as a creative person uh, as the next person saddles up with a bag of cement. So feel free to call in. Uh, you guys always have interesting stuff to, uh, to talk about. 
Um, but in the meantime, I will tell you that although I'm not able to uh, review Machete or Machete on Chud, I can tell you that I love it. Uh, <clears throat> and without reviewing it, let me say that um, it is everything that, I, that the Grindhouse should have been. I'm not a fan of, of the Grindhouse project um, as much as I should. You know, just out of loyalty and geek honor and all that. Um, I, I, I I like it less the more I think about it. And I haven't rewatched I haven't rewatched it other than I did watch Vanessa Ferlito's face getting destroyed by the wheel about 50 times on DVD. But other than that, I haven't revisited the films because it left such a bad taste in my mouth. And, you know, after covering it for so long and, and the build-up and the expectations and hearing, you know, and then seeing what, what actually came out of it, it didn't betray the idea of what a Grindhouse movie is necessarily. It just didn't feel, uh, you know, I, the best parts were those, were those fake trailers. Uh, and, of course, Machete is one of those. So uh, it was a big, interesting test to see if that idea would actually work, you know, as a feature film. And it certainly does. And a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with uh, the casting. Uh, Jeff Fahey, I hated Jeff Fahey when he was, like, a young actor. I hated The Lawnmower Man, and I hated a lot of the stuff he did. I couldn't stand him. I thought he was, like, the sign of bad quality. And part of it probably had to do with the fact that my two best friends were last named Fahey as well, and I, I and they didn't deserve to have their namesake be good because they there was just too much competition. But in retrospect, he was a horrible actor in the in the eighties and early nineties. But um, after he proved on Lost that he, he age has really taken uh, taken him to a new place. He's really you know the gray and all that has made him into an interesting kind of uh, character actor, and he was one of my favorite characters on that show. Um, in this movie, he's just fantastic. He's really, really good, and it's interesting to see um, that uh, he he kind of carries Machete as the bad guy. I think we've got Justin on the phone. Oh, we do. For five minutes or so. Okay. Um, make good, but who, who are you talking about? Who, Fahey? Oh. Yeah. He's fantastic in Machete. So good. He's, he's always good. He's not always okay. good. He was always great. Not in Lawnmower Man. He was excellent. Doesn't he kind of play a uh, mentally challenged individual in that that gets really smart? Whoa. I don't think he gets, I don't think he gets smart. I, th I think he gets given a gift. But he doesn't he make him smarter. He's still a retard. Wasn't he kind of... Didn't he... Wasn't he like a lawnmower? He was like... actually was a lawnmower man. Like actually a gardener in that, right? Yeah. And he had had crazy hair. He was Job. Yeah, and then he got smart. And then he get, and then and then in the second film, isn't he sentient and like ruling the world? I never did see the second film. No one did. Who who a, directed the second? film? I think film? it was a Brett Leonard joint. Well, did he do the first? Maybe I don't think it matters. And he did. Honestly. And he did virtuosity. He was kind of the corner of the market on like virtual reality rally movies. Yeah, well, he was Brett uh, Leonard. He, he was like the future of Australian filmmaking to uh, to to us until he made a movie. But um, how's his how's his career looking lately, Brett Leonard? Brett Leonard's doing fine. What's he doing? I think, I, honestly, I bet you the guy's directing like episodes of some muscular action show. You know, like he's like he's taking his chops to the to the small screen. That's my guess. I'm looking him up right now. Is there any show right now that has to do with virtual reality? Because then he probably is involved somehow. Let me tell that's you a little his, bit. That's the wheelhouse. Let me tell you a little bit about Brett Leonard. First of all, he directed Man Thing. That's incredible, incredible. I do that, and that he directed and nothing to do He directed that the movie. Jeff Goldblum. Remember that movie Feed? That really. No, but did he? Was Hideaway in uh, Jeff Goldblum? Yes, and 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 our, oh my every, god! And everybody's favorite actor, Jeremy Sisto. He I directed High, he directed Highlander: The Source. Sisto was, Sisto was the bad guy in Highway. Yes, he was, and in life. So, what's he doing lately? What's, what's Leonard up to? I just told you. <laughs> no, he hasn't directed anything since uh, the Highlander of the Source? Right. Well, he, he did a short movie, or a movie called Truth, but nobody knows what that is. How do you... 
you want to talk about, you know, he did The Dead Pit, which is actually kind of a fun 80s movie. But um, you know what's funny is the guy, his resume is Hideaway, Virtuosity, fucking T-Rex Back to the Cretaceous, Man-Thing, Feed, and Highland of the Source. Judging by those choices, do you not think Michael Robinson would have a shrine built to him? <laughs> well, first of all, I make fun of the man, but that's just, that is that is an exciting thing. You have to, if I had that career, I'd be happy. Because you have what? never made a good film. Like, you have never <laughs> made a good film. You know, and that's just like, it's just like, what? You know, I never tried. You know, I just, I made Virtuosity. Virtuosity is his best film. Wait a minute. He that is his best film. He, he didn't even do, uh, okay, yeah, and Lawnmower Man. Yeah, no, he, you're, you're better off. You've had a better directing career than Brett Leonard. Yeah, I mean, I, but that's, but it would still be an exciting career. You gotta, you know, you gotta be on set, free food, you gotta rub elbows with Russell Crowe for a couple months. That's yeah, not bad Russell, life. This is Russell Crowe, this is the Russell Crowe no one wanted. Yeah. He like, is not, I, I just wish he kept, was still working because he could be adding to the, adding to the flavor of that uh, resume a little bit with, you know, other questionable choices. Now, was he a writer as well, or did he actually just direct these projects? He calls himself a writer. Um, he wrote, uh, he wrote The Lawnmower Man. Based on a Stephen King short story, correct? Yeah, but the Stephen King short story features somebody who fucking comes to the yard. The mower, the mower basically, I think they take off their clothes. The mower starts going around the yard, and they creep behind the mower naked, eating up whatever it cuts up, including a rabbit. That's what I remember the short story being about. Yeah, based on a true, it's based on a true story. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but the thing is, is like, that isn't more interesting than virtual reality. A naked rabbit. The best is you described when you're laying out the plot of Lawnmower Man. Uh, Stephen King short story. You describe Brett Leonard's career. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe it's maybe the, the he is the naked man. Work. Well, I mean, it, a lot of filmmakers invest, put themselves in their work, and they're very autobiographical. I could see yeah, that. Well, yeah. Well, picture, picture the lawnmower. Uh, that's so his career. Does that does that make Matt Frewer the rabbit? Yeah, Frewer was in Lawnmower Man. Was he the bad guy, or what was he? Was he the he good guy? Max, he's Max Headroom. No. No, in the movie he was. <laughs> no, I think God. he was in the sequel. I think he was in the sequel. Who are you talking to when I when I called in, by the way? Because i got to go. So who, who are you talking to, Ren? I wasn't talking to anybody. You're my first caller. Oh, my God. You're talking to yourself. You know what? I've been doing it all my life. I know. I saw that Chuck commercial. I watched Thank it. You. Congrats. I enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Good. Did you, you guys uh, did have you a... Did you enjoy the fact that Steve Murphy sold a, a wheel to a, a, a wheelbarrow to George Carlin at Lowe's you, today? So there's a George Carlin alike at Lowe's. Yeah, and Steve was working the register. Now imagine Steve working the register at Lowe's. <laughs> yeah, he says he has to do that like an hour every day. I think to get everybody up front. Whoa. You have to go, don't you? Yeah, I gotta go. All right. Well, you're um, done. <laughs> All righty. I'll talk to you soon. Have fun. All right. Bye. Steve Murphy has to uh, has to, to work the register for an hour a day. When I went to Catholic school in the fifth grade, I had to spend an hour a day in the church before we started school. For the longest time, I thought that was my big sacrifice for Earth. But I don't know. It's borderline. I think Steve's pushing it there. I, I, I almost feel as if Steve's doing uh, taking a bigger one for the team. Um. So, we got to talk about Brett Leonard, and that's why you come to the Chud Show. Um, you know what's funny is if Brett Leonard, like, called in right now, I'd probably be happy. I'd probably ask him questions about Man-Thing, wondering where it all went wrong. Because to me, that movie should have been a golden opportunity of gold. And, and, and gold. Man-Thing, Man-Thing is like a, a low-rent Swamp Thing. And Swamp Thing is like a low-rent everything in the world. And the fact that Man Thing, um, if I remember correctly, and I get my I get my subplots and comic books mixed mixed up, I think he's the guy that when he touches you, he 
he tastes your fear or he burns your fear, something having to do with fear and burning and touching. I think that's man thing. Could be love. It could be what love is. I don't remember. But either way, it's, he's a swampy dude who touches you and your burning sensation happens. <laughs> that's what should have happened in Deliverance. Ronnie Cox, Ned Beatty, John Boyd, Burt Reynolds run afoul of Man-Thing. And what happens uh, is so grotesque and, and smooth that they are forced to come up with a story about hillbillies and rape and banjos. It'd be a better movie. I'm not the only one who feels that way. Uh, interesting fact about Justin is uh, he, in, in, in the past, I think, th- two years, he's written two blogs. The first blog he wrote, I believe, was about the rescuing of a turtle. And the second blog he wrote was about someone who was stealing his tennis shoes. I, I may have had them backwards, but I think that's the right order. And folks, I'm pleased to tell you, he is working on his third blog. Three years, three blogs. That is a pace to be envied. Um, but but he is apparently going to cut cut loose a new blog, which makes me very happy for everybody involved. Somebody on the, on the uh, chat room said that Jeff Fahey was good in White Hunter Blackheart, and that's very true. Uh, I forgot about that role. I'm so overshadowed, uh, you know, because anything anything that features White Hunters, I I get confused with surviving the game. Um, but yeah, but Fahey still. Uh, his his research, his his real birth as a, as a as an actor was in my eyes was lost. That's where he was given a chance to show off what he is. So back to Machete. Um, it's it's the best. It's it, it embodies what a grindhouse movie is. It it's cheap. It's rough. It's got some questionable and, and intentionally uh, done, of course, but some questionable uh, moments. And actually, there's a scene that they just put on the Internet recently that I wish they wouldn't show, which uh, showcases how Machete escapes from a hospital, because uh, it's a really fun sequence, and I think everybody in the theater was truly not expecting him to escape the way he did. Um, but, you know, having the ability to watch it over and over again on the, on the uh, Internet, I got to see how poorly the rest of that scene was edited. And I... And I and, and the final credit bears two names. It's got Rodriguez and the other guy that, that I thought was going to be the lone director. So you may, it makes you wonder if maybe Rodriguez came in to clean it up or to make it a little bit more exciting because there is definitely some stuff in there that uh, is really got some good kinetic filmmaking. Um, but, um, you know, regardless, uh, it's, it's, it's fun stuff. Just try not to watch any of the Red Band stuff or, you know, just, just let the film speak to you on its own. Um, people had asked about um, the, the cast, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Lindsay Lohan, uh, Cheech Marin, um, Steven Seagal, Don Johnson, Robert De Niro, all, the, all that stuff. And, of course, Danny Trejo, who is lovely. It's lovely to see this stocky Mexican with a face that would make the moon vomit um, in a starring role and pulling it off really well, and he gets to uh, and he gets to sleep with Jessica Alba and Michelle Rodriguez and probably off screen Cheech Marin, um, and it's it's awesome. It's it's inspiring. As far as the cast goes, uh, some are hit and some are miss. Um, uh, Jessica Alba is definitely out of place in the movie, and it's hard to 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 buy her in that context. Um, Michelle Rodriguez, I am scared and baffled to admit that she's hot in the movie. She's actually pretty damn, she's pretty damn good in it and, and attractive, which um, I'm not really typically into same-sex things, but she's a guy I consider. Um, the Lohan, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't read a lot of the gossip about her, and I don't care, you know, but. She's fine in it. The only thing that really bothered me is there's a nude scene and it's an obvious body double. Um, if you're going to have a body double for Lindsay Lohan, you might want to get somebody with freckles to at least pass off that this is somebody else. But then 
I think this is the same person who who steps out of limos with spread legs all the time, and there's nothing that people haven't seen of Lindsay Lohan, so who gives a shit at this point? Um, De Niro's boring, unfortunately, uh, but the role's not exactly an exciting role. Fahey's incredible. Steven Seagal's great, and that's not easy to say. He's great. It's really fun to watch him. Um, Don Johnson's okay. He looks kind of like a mixture of Elvis and... Uh, and more Elvis in the movie. Uh, Cheech Marin's great. Um, it's just a fun movie, it's, and it's gory. It's you know, it's, I'm not reviewing it, so don't think I'm reviewing it right now. This is just me talking about it. But uh, good stuff. And, and in the and after Piranha Three, it, it's just really, that's really good. And 88 inches on the on the chat room said that it was Britney Spears with the crotch. Excuse me, Miss. There's like six or seven different starlets who have had limo pubis shots. So there, you could find one. You could find one of nearly anybody you want. As a matter of fact, I think they have a photo booth uh, in Hollywood that's strictly shaped like a limo, so you can take your little puss across. Um, so I'm wondering. I'm wondering why Steve Murphy hasn't called in. I'm wondering if maybe there was some sort of a dust up in the rake section. Or if maybe uh, somebody somebody went over and kicked a pile of lumber over, and Steve's got to go take care of business. He's got to lay down the law. Either that, or he's got a little bag with a little peanut butter sandwich, and he's sitting on a rafter over the lows, chomping mercifully. Either way, he is not called in. And with 23 minutes left in this show, I run the risk of you guys getting very bored. So I think it's time, you know, that we may we might find somebody to come in and help uh, take some of this load off of me. Otherwise, I'm just gonna go back to Brett Leonard movies, and nobody wants that. <laughs> anyway, um, so some Chad-related stuff. I don't know if you guys saw it, but on September 30th, uh, we're partnering up with Warner Brothers Pictures and Fathom Events to do a once-only screening of the. Scariest movie ever, as it calls itself, The Exorcist, a movie that somehow some people still haven't seen and somehow still manages to maintain its punch, even though hundreds, literally hundreds of movies have come out in its wake wanting to be it. Um, It still works. It's still great. So uh, we're doing that screening, and... It's going to be in hundreds of theaters across the country, uh, and if you go to fathomevents.com or if you go to Chud's, you know, on our homepage, or if you go to even I think Fandango or whatever, you can get to the page to buy tickets. And uh, how it works is there's like a pre-show thing that goes on uh, where um, they show they're going to be showing some special stuff for the release because the Blue Blu-ray and DVD release that's coming out. Um, is going to have some stuff that's never seen before. William Friedkin went in and did some 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 tweaking and all that, and there's some new behind-the-scenes stuff that's never been seen, and I think a percentage of that's going to come on before the movie. So there's going to be a little bit of, like, pre-show entertainment, uh, and including a little uh, minute-and-a-half Chud commercial that Ren was kind enough to help cobble together uh, on very short notice um, to represent our, our stake in this whole thing, uh, which is kind of fun. It's going to be neat to see, you know, that... But most importantly, The Exorcist is a movie you need to see on the big screen. It's, it's, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't compete at home. I don't care if you're at home in the dark with a priest over your shoulder throwing hosts at you. It's just not the same. Although if you do have that set up, I'd like to come watch a movie with you, especially something like Benji the Hunted, because I understand that Joe Camp's work is only appreciated when a host is flying past your left ear. Um, but The Exorcist is great. And you need to see it. And, and, and if you love Chud and if you want to find a way to support us, that would be a really good, fun way. Because if the turnout's good, uh, maybe we'll do some other stuff down the line. Especially since this is the same group that did that riff track thing, and, and, and those guys are ugly as hell. We're delightful. Um, so Exorcist, uh, September 30th, be there. Uh, we're definitely going to be doing something special for that here in Atlanta. I'm already working with them on, on getting some DVDs and Blu-rays to give away to folks. There's going to be posters signed by William Friedkin and Linda Blair that we're going to be giving away, which is amazing. Uh, I don't know where Linda Blair is finding the free time to sign that. Um, and then at, at the theater, the, the theater I've chosen for the Atlanta group is the Atlanta Mansell Crossing 
um, on North Point Parkway and Mansell Road in Alpharetta, and we're going to do something there special because, you know, because of our involvement, and that's going to be kind of our home base theater. And so if you're in Atlanta and you are free the 30th, and I <laughs> frankly, how could you not be, um, we're going to do something fun there. I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but it's going to be great. Uh, and uh, I know there will be a lot of free shit given away if that's the kind of thing that turns your crank. So good for us. Uh, and, and still people are afraid to see the exorcist because of the religious subtext. Or not subtext, it's text. It's fucking text right in your face. There's Jesus kicking ass. There's demons and, and whiplash and babies kicking onions off the trees. There's all sorts of crazy shit that defies people's beliefs. But let me plainly say that regardless of what your religious affiliation is, The Exorcist is a delightful and warming movie that you need to see uh, because none of what happens in the movie is real. There is, there, Pazuzu lies dormant in the earth. There's no fear of him surfacing and getting inside a girl to the point where she'll manifest crotch stabbings. So you need to see it. I'm not speaking to Andrea in particular. I'm speaking to, to everybody out there who, who fears that this, uh, this kind of stuff is too, is too scary and real to, to, to go see as a piece of entertainment. And uh, as you very well know, Exorcist 3 is also fantastic. A little bit of trivia about Exorcist 3. Um, Brett Leonard had nothing to do with it. And uh, the, the infamous scene that made the film what it is, uh, if you know it's coming, that movie almost loses every bit of appeal. So don't know. Don't know about anything special about that movie. You know what film? There's another film that I recently um, revisited that, um, even though I shouldn't say this, is perfect for a remake because, um, damn it, I'd like to do it. But um, I rewatched In the Mouth of Madness somewhat recently. And uh, damn near if it's not so close to being a really good movie. It's so close. It's so close to being something special. You know, it's it, if it wasn't for the fact that the budget was limited and that obviously... Um, it's like three quarters of a, of a full story in a respect. There's still some really cool moments in that flick. And uh, if you haven't given it another chance, you should give it another shot because it really, it, it really is like the last time John Carpenter did something that seemed to be even closely evocative of why we love John Carpenter so much. Um, speaking of John Carpenter, George Carlin lookalike at Lowe's. He was going to do some repairs needed some parts, had a beard that was gray, and moseyed up to Steve Murphy to complete his purchase. Somewhat inspiring to think that we all have, we all have times of the day where we're, we feel like we're doing the wrong thing in our lives and that nothing could be good. I woke up this morning to my dog's horrible voice, my horrible dog's horrible voice, the worst way to wake up, and that includes 9-11. And then... I've just recovered from hating him, and I go downstairs and he's gotten into my trash. But whatever whatever we do in our lives, I think it's safe to say that Steve Murphy's got it much worse. I've got a caller on the line. Who is this? Hi, it's Andrea. Hey, shit. What's going on? Hi. Uh, you know that you have, it says I'm, I'm waiting in the host queue, so I'm inside your queue somewhere. I don't know where that is on your body. No, it's right next to my winged serpent. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> so, I remember you were talking the other day. I, I was shocked that they were actually bringing back an older movie back into theaters, and I thought that was a totally brand new idea. Boy, you're dumb. Before. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit for the retards like me. Well, there's a thing like, how often does this happen, or is it like, or why, why, why studios would do this? Is it just revenue generating, or? Well, I mean, it's a revival. Or what? There, there are revival houses all over the, the country that that strictly 
are built around playing older movies. Like if you go to, I don't know if it still does it nearly as much, but the Fox Theater downtown here used to play old movies all the time. And like a lot of the, the smaller art house theaters, like if you go to L.A. or New York or Chicago or cities that actually have a lot of culture that's not retarded, um, they have a lot of theaters that sit, that sit, that always don't, that don't even play first run movies. Like they play old movies and they play classics and they play foreign films and all that. You know, so like the Fox when I when I was growing up, like you can go there to see Gone with the Wind. I know that they did it almost every, I seem like every couple of months, but they they you know I you know Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws and the Third Man and like classic Lawrence of Arabia, all sorts of stuff. So there's a lot of theaters that do that, repertory houses and all that kind of stuff where they get a hold of prints of, of old movies and they and they let people see them on the big screen, which is you know obviously the best way to experience most movies except for um, iCarly. Um, so no, it's it's very common. It's just that here in town, it's been you know a lot of those theaters have gotten squashed, and uh, so, so that's more. I, I didn't know this phenomenon existed at all, but until like this week. But um, is that more of a localized thing, and usually, and or like, or how is, how is the actress different than that? Is because it, it's well, there is a difference. This, this is this is this isn't. I mean. This is a promotional thing more as much as it is anything because the movies, the movie still works. There's um, there's a big DVD coming out, and they're going to be doing a big push on, 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 for Exorcist both on uh, home video and download media and all that. So what they do typically leading into that is they give folks a chance to see it again on the big screen. You know, it's it serves two purposes. I mean, you know, obviously it's it's a chance to build interest in the product that they're bringing out. But more importantly, um, there are a, a select handful of movies that generationally have the have the strength to be released theatrically and reach to a new audience. Like you know, that's that's why Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz and all those things have have come out, you know, every, uh, twice or three times during every generation's lifetime, so that 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 parents could bring their kids to those movies or that, you know. People that were too young to appreciate them get to see them. You know, it's 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 really kind of a way of keeping keeping the the chronology alive of a lot of things. Yeah. And The Exorcist is is as much uh, an important film in history as both of those. So, you know, it doesn't. Always, it's not always the case that that these films. You know, that it's a really great movie. That they're. You know, sometimes it's just shameless marketing. But in this case, it's it's a movie that that makes sense. And and they've done. Um, two sequels, and then two prequels to this movie. Um, and other than the third film being pretty good, most of them were really, really, really bad. And it's still, this this has that power. So that's cool. And then one of the things that was causing some eyebrows when I mentioned this yesterday was that apparently this, this way of presenting movies, this isn't a film print. This is a, a digital print. So, you know, one of the great things about revival houses is you get these prints that are, like, worn and they have a life to their, you know, just because of you know, the scratches and all that make them more interesting to watch in the theater. This is going to be a pristine print. And one, one of the problems that has happened in the past is that um, uh, the, the, the quality has suffered. But for what, for what I've been told by the Warner Brothers executives now is that this is going to be something different. They spent a very large amount of money to make sure that every theater has a copy of this um, of this digital disc with it. So this is going to be one of the better ways of uh, presenting the movie. Are you there still, or is this somebody new? Yeah, I got, it was me. I got dropped and I came back, so I do have one more question, unless okay. somebody else is really inside your queue. No, no one gives a shit about my queue. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, what, what movies would you like to see come back, or what or do you think should come back? You're like plant. This, you, you, this feels like a plant, like you've been planted here. Why? No, because that that's like a, a legitimate question. Um, well, I mean, for me, great. thank you. For me, there's, I can't. There's not. I can't think of any movies that I haven't seen on the big screen that I would want to. Because I've, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, my parents took me to movies when I was really young. So I saw Jaws. I saw Star Wars. I saw. You know, I saw Alien. I saw all those movies on the big screen when I was younger, but because old. Yeah, that and and then like when they've re-released the movies that I didn't see, I've made a point to go see them. So I can't think of any that I haven't seen that I'd like to see on the big screen. But as far as films that I would love to see on the big screen again, um, I think um, you know that recently uh, the theater in Atlanta here did the thing, and I and I and I would have loved to have been to, at that. 
because that's probably my favorite movie. Um, uh, and the other one I think that is like a very special cinema-going experience is American Werewolf in London. So I, I mean, like just off the top of my head, those are two that that would be super to have. Although, uh, you know, it's amazing. Like I I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, actually you know what movie had a real Irreversible is a good movie to see on the big screen. You didn't see Irreversible, did you? No. <laughs> you shouldn't. It's 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 fucked. But um, why why can't Pretty Woman come back to the big screen? Hello. I'm gonna disconnect the hell out of you. Got no. disconnected. <laughs> Um, somebody on the somebody on the boards mentions the uh, Austin Alamo, which is dead. That's like the the king of uh, of theaters that play old you know older movies, and they play stuff like one of the things a good house like that does that that we don't really see a lot of is not only do they play those movies that we would expect, like like The Exorcist is obvious, and and um, you know Alien is obvious, but they dig up these really really obscure weird movies that, you know, even people that consider themselves somewhat knowledgeable film people either don't really know about or haven't really thought out uh, hard enough. You know, these guys find a way to really dig deep and find the real special movies. And as a result, you know, you hear about a lot of these films getting really good DVD releases with a lot of TLC partially based on the response that these kind of repertory houses bring them, these little companies. Um, so that's that's a fantastic. And please don't mention Pretty Woman anymore. It's the best movie ever. I'm going to review it. I've now derailed the podcast. You know, you know what it does though. You know what it tells like people this. like who are listening that here, first of all, that you that you didn't know that they had theaters that play older movies, which is fine. But then when you mention Pretty Woman, it's it like oh, basically fine, you're the you're the woman. you're the white devil. That's where the 88 inches comes from, though. Well, congratulations to you. Um, That's all my film trivia I have for you. Yeah. Uh, the only <laughs> film, and the film trivia I always have to release when Pretty Woman is brought up is when I was, a, you know the story, when I was a, a projectionist at the Roswell Mall, um, I ruined a print of Pretty Woman. I ruined it. It's like it was like a twelve thousand dollar piece of material that I ruined. I, I I chopped it up. It got ruined in the projector. It got chopped up, burned. It was there was a mini holocaust on that film, and I had to spend like the better part of an entire day up in the projection room trying to piece it back together, like some sort so of kitchen Frankenstein. So you're guilty of whore burning, like the Middle Ages. Somebody, somebody, uh, somebody on the board. We have a very active. We have an active little couple of chat room people. Uh, I see a name drop of Craig R. Baxley, which is great. And 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 to Daniel Day, I have to say Craig R. Baxley blows Brett Leonard out of the water because I come in pieces. Amazing. Um, he also asked if you're one of my wives, and no, but that but it would be cool it's, if I could have a, a harem of a harem of wives. I'd love to have a harem of wives. <laughs> It would be a, it would be the least satisfied group of women in history. Um, I, think, I think you should have Harlem wives. Forget harem. I would make sure that at least one of my wives was a Harlem wife, because <laughs> hell yeah, foxy, foxy tits. Um, somebody, G G X dude, um, which is probably his given name, says that they screened the Keep last week, and the Keep is is a very it's a very special movie to me. Um, Directed by Michael Mann of all people, um, it's it's a it's the fuckedest movie of all time. It's it's based on a F. Paul Wilson book that was actually really scary, involving Nazis and buildings and monsters and stuff. And then the movie that came out was just this bizarre, horribly cast movie with a naked Scott Glenn. Bizarre. Um, is is Pretty Woman still your favorite movie though? Um, you, you evolved. For nostalgic reasons, it's been a piece of my life since I was about thirteen. I've grown up with it. It's, my feelings have you, changed over time. I, it's not a good movie. You know, it's about a whore. But it's right? part of my life and part of my history, though. 
It's about a horse. It spreads for dough. I know. You don't get to see your spread, though. It's Julia Roberts. I just said that out really loud in the hallway at work, too. It's awesome. Do you, so I know that in the, in the time that you've 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 uh, started hanging out with this crew of people, you, you've you've absorbed many films, and, and you're and you're. Which one? Like I know the Twenty Fifth Hour is one that you fell in love with. Twenty Fifth Hour, I love. I absolutely love. What else? See, I have a couple more. I have a condition though, called, yeah. called filmnesia. Is that what it's called? Yes, I named it the other week. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't remember anything I've just seen, and it's horrible. I can literally walk out of a movie and just forget what happened, and I pay attention. So, but um, exorcist because it won't stay with you. Oh no, no, I won't be there for that. The only <laughs> yeah, but twenty uh, fifth hour. Um, what else did you turn me on to? What's the assassination of um? Jesse James. JFK. Oh, oh okay. Jeff James. Love. There was one that surprised me that you liked so much. I don't remember which it Tron. was. Tron. I fell in love with Tron, and I shouldn't have liked it, and I loved it. Not because it's a bad movie, I liked it, but usually not part of my taste. Well, your taste is supposed to be an evolving uh, beast that never gets old. All right, Steve Murphy's on the phone. Do you want to stay on, or are you going to let go? I'm going to let you go. All right, take care of yourself. Thank you. Okay. The devil, what's going on? Lowe's Home Repair. Yeah, that's it. Hey, how can I help you? Uh, can I bring you up entirely incorrectly and fail to deactivate your item when you walk out the door, therefore sending the alarm off? That's Did me. Did you do that today? Everything, everything I ring up, once they leave the store, instant burglars. <laughs> that's a Halo name. That is a great Halo name, actually. You have another Halo name with burglar. I don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember at all. I, Justin just I, I didn't know until just today that you have to put an hour of duty dealing with people every day. It's the worst. It's the worst thing of all time. <laughs> yeah, I like hiding in the back, you know, back in receiving. I heard that every now and then. Yeah, now and then they uh, they force you to go up front and deal with people. <laughs> and they throw me on the registers. I'm like, all right then. You just hit buttons to... and hope good things happen. That's it. Usually it does. The hilarity, though, is when they, they walk out the store thinking they purchased something legally and then the alarms go off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I wouldn't can't it believe be cool? that. Wouldn't it be cool if in a couple of months you don't have to work at Lowe's? Hey, you know, at this rate, if I keep failing to deactivate things, who knows what can happen. Yeah. But maybe, I, I guess, maybe, maybe this stuff just had a bad motivator. Well, let me... That's true. Let me just say, though, I got to meet George Carlin today. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I could not believe it. The guy and? comes up, he's like, well, you know, he came in and he's, he's an eclectic buyer, you know. He, he had a, a toilet repair kit and he had a spare tire for a wheelbarrow. Yes, I've, I've already shared this with the audience. Well, it's just amazing. But it's George Carlin. I, I, I almost lost it three or four times. He looked and sounded <laughs> like him. I thought I was... What the hell did I have? To, did I just accidentally drop into Bill and Ted? What's going on? Because that's, that's be all great. Calling, that's all be he's known great for. If you today, actually yeah. work at the Midian uh, Lowe's. <laughs> like you're like that's, <laughs> the last, that's where all the dead go for their last earthly needs, and then they yes. shuffle off away. Six Boulevard. I got an interesting DVD for. Whoa! I got an interesting DVD for review in the mail. Would that be the, the four complete Ed Sullivan shows starring the Beatles? Really? Yep. Yeah, but well, that's interesting because only one was really live. It says in Get these unforgettable in these unforgettable live shows from 1964 and 1965, the Beatles right. give us. So you're, this is a lie? No, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. It probably includes the rehearsals as well because they did films rehearsals. It's got 13 also, minutes of they, they, bonus material too. Really? 13? A whole 13 minutes? Yep. Beautiful. Thir- 13 minutes. How, gotta, how are people going to find the time to watch 13 minutes of bonus features? There's a commentary track by Mark David Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's called the I'm going to shoot the daylights out of your track. <laughs> Happiness is a warm gun. Here, enjoy it. Oh, see, that's how. That's, that's pretty cool. Yep. That's a, that's a, 
So are you on your lunch break? Yeah, I'm about to go to Arby's and get me a, a Jamocha shake, and then I'm going to sit back and read the Necronomicon, a little light reading. <laughs> I think they sell, I think that the uh, the kids' meal at Arby's has that. <laughs> it comes with, here's your, here's your little Howard Phillips, enjoy, enjoy these curly fries, it'll send you right to the toilet. But the Jamocha shake, shake is glorious, I'm, I'm going to tell you that now. Well, we are out of time, Steve. That's too bad. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> you, you take care of yourself. You enjoy that Jamocha shake. Hell yes.